Um, no, hello and welcome uh, to everyone that's in the room, and hello and welcome to everyone joining us online. As you know, our in-person gathering is underway, and you are joining it, and we're so glad that you are doing that later this evening. We are in week nine of our summer breakthrough series. We are loving that, including today. There's four more weeks of that. Um, for those of you online, some of the things I say may not apply, but um, some will, and other things can happen through our website. Um, one thing that can't happen online, sorry about that, is that um, we have Isaiah journals in the back. If anybody has not grabbed one of those yet, like I said, there's still four more weeks to have that and to take notes um, or to just have it if you would like. Um, so to any guests in the room, uh, we know that there's people that we have been meeting online that have been joining us that way. and so. If you are um, a new in-person face, we want to welcome you. If there's anything we can do to help you, let us know. Um, for everybody, we want to um, help you. If you want to share your information with us, there's lots of ways to do that. There's cards on the back. Um, there's an app that I'll talk about in a second. Um, but basically, if you share your info, uh, we just want to follow up and get feedback from you, and that's about it. We will not hunt you down. Um, so the ways to share your info, like I mentioned, there's an info card. Um, you can also do that electronically via our Uversion app. And um, you can also do that on our website. Um, the app, speaking of which, is very helpful. Um, the Uversion app, it helps you follow along, take notes. You can do a lot of things through there. You can even give on there. And speaking of giving, um, you can give in the back. Uh, we love to be generous here at Centerway. We actually love to talk about giving. So we encourage you to do that. Um, some other ways to connect and engage throughout the week. We have wallpapers that you can put on your devices. Um, we have social media that you can check out. And we engage that um, throughout the week, several times at least. We have a Spotify playlist that has all of the songs that we're doing through this series. And we have Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. And that is an incredible way um, to go deeper into the text. You know, we don't want Sundays just be uh, Sunday and then we walk away. We want ways to engage and apply the text. And those devotionals take you deeper. And every Monday of this remaining series, we have been doing one specific area of breakthrough, because it's called Summer Breakthrough, that we're praying for. And um, so those have been great. Um, you're going to hear a new one tomorrow morning. Um, and I can't remember which one it is right now, so I'm not even going to try to guess. I think I have an idea. But anyway, um, and then there's also a kid's message uh, that your kids can check out and you can check out with them and help them apply the text, which is really awesome. If you have any questions about anything I'm talking about, or if you have feedback, if you have ideas, or you need prayer, um, please email us. It's the best way at connect at centerwaychurch.com. One thing I should note, I know I do not sound like myself. No, I do not have COVID. I was tested. It's just a good old-fashioned head cold that I'm actually getting over, and it's just still kind of lingering in my voice. So anyway, so if you don't want to come up and talk at the end, it's fine. I totally get it. Um, But I'm not probably going to get you sick. So anyway, um, we always say we get to do this. And I love that we get to be in person today here at Pinnacle. For those of you that don't know, we have been um, in person maybe like once a month through the summer. And that's not because we don't want to be meeting. It's because in this season, we are still a mobile church and it has been difficult to find places to meet. Um, But we are moving towards hopefully meeting through the fall regularly. And our next in-person gathering, this has, this date has been out for a long time, um, but September 19th is our next in-person gathering, but it's also our three-year celebrations. Yes, Centerway is turning three. Um, more than half of our existence has been in this crazy COVID season, um, but we are excited. We are going to celebrate. We're going to have a service together, a gathering together, and then we're going to have our food truck friends that we have had every, I say it like we've done this like every year for 10 years, but for the last couple of years, we've had some food truck friends, and we're going to do that and hang out and just Um, be together. So we're really excited about that. In the meantime, there are other ways that you can gather. Um, Our students had an amazing lake day yesterday. Our kids have a beach day coming up. We have another backyard worship um, on September 2nd. We are so excited about that. The last one we had was amazing. And then, of course, our three-year celebration. And I just want to point out, Claude will talk about next steps at the end, but Um, Just right now, as you kind of um, start to process the message, just remember there's ways that you can continue to grow and take next steps. You can be spiritually coached. We have an eight-week discipleship program. Um, Serving is a great way. And as we approach fall again and there's more opportunities to serve, just check those out. They're on our website. Um, Serving is a biblical mandate, and it um, is life-giving. It's amazing. There's lots of low-risk ways that you can serve as well. Um, You don't have to, like, hop up and start leading worship right away. (laughs) We would never do that to you. Um, But there's lots of really great ways to just get involved, and it's really fun, too. Um, You can also get water baptized. We have water baptism coming up on the 26th, and um, there's opportunities to become a Centerway steward, and there's more information about that on our website. So we're really excited. Um, Here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today after I'm done talking here. I'm going to pray, and then Stephanie's going to come up and read scripture for us. Um, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then um, I'll close out the gathering um, with some 
ways to respond and worship and just kind of dismiss you. Um, and so let's pray together. When we pray um, today, and we said this in an email, we're also going to pray momentarily for um, the Christians being persecuted in Af- Afghanistan right now. We um, have lots of connections through our fellowship and different things um, that we know for sure there are people being hunted down and targeted right now for their faith in Jesus. And we know that there's the persecuted church all over the world, and we know there's devastation in Haiti. And if you saw the email, you know, we're giving to those things and we're praying for those things. But as a church body, we just felt like it would be special today to take a moment and pray for our fellow believers. You know, we're brothers and sisters together in Christ. And it's a way that we can be the church. We talk about that a lot at Centerway, that it's not just coming to a church service, but we want to be the church Monday through Saturday as well. So um, would you just join me in praying um, for that happening all over the world? Let's pray together. God, first of all, we just want to come to you and say thank you so much that we can worship here freely, um, that we're not afraid for our lives. We're not um, here being persecuted or hunted down. And um, I pray that we would never grow lax and that we would never take that for granted, Father. I pray that we would continue to just lean into the joy of gospel-centered community, the joy of being together and growing together. But we take a moment right now and we pray for our brothers and sisters all over the world, but specifically in Afghanistan, that their world has been turned upside down this week and they're no longer worshiping freely and they're on the run and they're being literally persecuted and and even killed in some cases for their faith in you, Jesus. And I just pray over them that verse that says, we are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are close. You are close to the brokenhearted. Lord, you are with us. I pray that you would just give them a sense of eternity, just stirring in their hearts, that it's not this temporary thing, but that they would look to the unseen because like the word says, The seen is transient, but the unseen is eternal. And I just pray that they would have a sense of the eternal and what you're up to. And we pray in Jesus' name that the gospel of Jesus would spread across across that country like maybe it hasn't in the last 20 years, God, and that your name would be lifted up and you would be glorified. And we do pray for the heaviness all over the world. We pray for the heaviness that we feel. And um, we thank you that... um, that you bear those burdens with us and for us. And we're not meant to carry those alone. And we thank you that you are a close, kind father. And so Jesus, would you just take all of our worship and all of our praise today as we give, as we pray, as we sing, and um, as we hear your word and we allow it to transform us, I pray that God, you would receive all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. Good morning, I'm Stephanie, and we'll be reading Isaiah 10, 20 through 34 in the ESV version. In that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For for though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. The Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a little while my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them as a whip as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb. And his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder, and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. He has come to Aath. He has passed through Migron. At Michmash, he stores his baggage. They have crossed over the pass. At Geba, they lodge for the night. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Galim, give attention, O Laisha. Or, O poor Anathoth, Medmena is in flight. The inhabitants of Gebim flee for safety. This very day he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down with thickets of the forest with an axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Thanks, Stephanie. She can read a historical Hebrew map. Check that out. Yeah, that's impressive. (laughs) 
excited to be with you today as we continue in our series, uh, Summer Breakthrough. Uh, the message in title is entitled Control today. So we're going to be talking about control. Yay! <laughs> Um, not that I'm a control freak, but I definitely have control issues. I think we all do as human beings, and we'll talk a little bit about how we have that common struggle. Um, one of the stories I want to share with you to kind of get started, um, I've shared part of it before, so it might sound familiar if you've been with us right from the beginning, uh, but I had a a friend that was slightly older than me, his name was Mark, and he would drive us around everywhere when I was growing up. Um, he was just basically our, our taxi service. And uh, we were going down one part in the community that I grew up in, and uh, one of the things that Mark always had issue with and he would talk about is his issue with speeding tickets. Uh, he had way too many. In fact, it caused my parents some pause from time to time whether or not we would be allowed to ride with him. Um, but he was at the point now where if he had gotten uh, one more ticket, he would actually lose his license. He would have to go through some process that thankfully I'm not familiar with, so I'm not going to start to try to explain it because I'll probably get it wrong. But basically, he was going to lose his license. I know because he would complain about it all the time. He was super fearful. I was like, here's an idea. Don't speed. But anyway, um, it never dawned on him. And so uh, at one point, we were going through, um, if you're familiar where I grew up, which most of us are not, um, there's a spot where the road, the speed changes, and it changes very unexpectedly. It's kind of unfair if you're not familiar with this road. Um, and so he was coming through, moving right along, the speed changed, and there's, of course, a speed trap there. And so the lights go on, and he just starts freaking out. I can't believe it. I'm going to get a speeding ticket. This is ridiculous. He's just fear struck, and he's furious, and I'm in the back seat. I'm like, dude, it'll be fine. Everything will be fine. It's like, everybody knows this is a ridiculous spot, and uh, he's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand, Claude. Just shut your mouth. I'm like, ooh, all right. Simmer down, Tiger Lily, and uh, so I think I actually said those words, and um, He's pulled over, we're lit up, and uh, the police officer comes up, asks for license and registration, disappears. He's like, I want everybody to shut up. I want everybody on good behavior. No goofing around, no messing around. You understand? We're talking about me losing my license. I'm like, all right, okay. And so um, we're sitting there. The police officer comes back. He goes, wow, wow. And Mark's like, yes, sir. He's like, you really can't get a speeding ticket, huh? And he's like, uh, no, sir, uh, uh, you know, it changed, you know, in that one spot, uh, and I, I just didn't see it, and, and he's like, well, you're from this area, you should probably be familiar with that, he's like, you're right, you're exactly right, there's no excuse for it, sir, and he's like, yeah, you really can't get a ticket, and he's like, leans over, and he's looking in the car, we're all sitting back there, and I'm looking at him, and he said, uh, actually, you know what, come to think of it, uh, I, I don't think your, your seatbelt was on when I pulled you over, and he goes, Sir, yes, it was. It was, I promise. I, I took it off in order to get my license when you pulled me over. And he goes, no, I, I don't think you understand what I'm saying, son. Like, you really can't get a speeding ticket. He's like, no, I, I know, I know, I know. I'm just telling you that, that you can't give me two tickets. I had my seatbelt on. And so he is just so struck with fear. He's not realizing what is happening right now. And so I lean forward and I go, hey, Mark, I don't think you had your seatbelt on. And he goes, Claude! now's not the time, man. Like he like looks around, he's like shaking, you know? And I was like, whoa. And he's like, just keep your mouth shut. He thinks he's a funny guy. He just thinks he's joking around. I swear, I swear I had my seatbelt on. I was like, wow, Mark is coming unraveled. And, uh, and he's like, not another word. Because I actually said, wow, Mark's coming unraveled. It's like exact quote. And he's like, not another word. And he's like looking around at the other people in the car and they're all like. <laughs> and uh, the police officer looks back. He's like, sir, just calm down. I think your friend's trying to help you out. And he's like, no, what? He's like, I think he's trying to help you out. Maybe you should listen to him. He's like, wait, what? What do you, what do you say? And he's like, looks back. I'm like, I don't think you had your seatbelt on. <laughs> he's, if you're listening by podcast, that was a wink, wink. And, uh, and so he, uh, he looks at me and then there's this moment of confusion and he goes, oh, Oh, yeah, right. I, uh, sometimes I don't have my seatbelt on. And the officer's like, wow. 
wow. He goes, okay, I'll be right back. And he walks away and he's like, all right, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm really scared. I was like, yeah, I can tell there, buddy. And so the, the reason why I share that story and it was even more absurd and ridiculous. If we had more time and I could be more dramatic, I would share the whole thing. But um, the question I want to ask you is this, why is it so easy to allow fear to control what we believe? Why is it so easy to allow fear to control what we believe? I think before we can answer this, we have to kind of understand fear by definition, okay? So um, I looked it up. I'm going to share the the actual definition of fear with you. It's both a noun and it's used as a verb. So as a noun, fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. Kind of common sense, right? And of course, of the verb version of fear is to be afraid of someone or something as likely to be dangerous, painful, or threatening, okay? So I think we all understand by definition, but I want to submit to you the idea that fear is what happens when humans believe they're losing control. Fear is what happens when humans believe that they're losing control. You name the situation, Heights, you're afraid, why? Because you don't control what might happen to you. A dark room, it's the anticipation, the anxiety of it. An uncertain future, a threatening person. You name the situation, the impending potential of a ticket. When you are losing control, that's when fear starts to creep in. Fear creeps up in a lot of different areas and in a lot of different ways. You see, it's likely uh, to be considered whatever that situation is, likely to be considered dangerous, painful, or threatening because we can't control it, right? We have no control over that situation or circumstance. So why is it so incredibly easy to allow fear to control what we actually believe? You see, what's interesting is fear can actually influence what we believe because we want so badly to regain control of a situation or our lives as a whole. Think about that for a second. Think about the implications of that. I'm going to repeat the end part of that one more time. Fear can actually influence what we believe because we want so badly to regain control of a situation or our lives as a whole. So Mark is hyper-focused on on being fearful of what it is he's going to lose, the process that's going to be attached, the finances that are associated with losing his license, that he literally begins to to hyper-focus about this situation. And in that moment, he believes that I'm not for him, but actually I'm acting against him for my own entertainment. Claude, this isn't funny. Shut your mouth. I'm actually acting on behalf of him, but he views me as an assault on him. Why? Because in that moment, fear has gripped him so much, he's doing everything he can to get control, to get control. So get this, we can actually be swayed into believing something if it offers us a form of control in a situation. In that moment when we're grasping, if, if it offers us some sense of control, there's, there's a relief associated with it. So we'll, we'll gravitate towards it. It's even why some people stay in destructive patterns. We want to believe that we can change. We want to believe that we can change under our own power, that we can somehow regain control. Listen, I, I did it this one time, but I won't do it again. I said that that I regret, but I I won't say that again. I'm going to stop that destructive pattern. It's because that belief offers us a sense of control, a way that we can control our reality, our lives. Now, admittedly, I'm oversimplifying a much more complex topic. I'm not saying that, that that situation of a destructive pattern is your situation. I'm saying fear informs our beliefs because of our desire to control patterns and moments. And we all do it as humans. There's not one person in this room or listening or watching that's exempt from this idea. Fear settles in when we're out of control. And so we want to gain that control. Now there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum there on on how we decide what to believe. Some of us decide what it is that we're going to believe by doing the best that we can to gain information about the situation as quickly as we can because we want to gain control as quickly as possible. 
Some of us turn on the other side of the spectrum or the other extreme towards relationships where we look and see who is it that I can trust? What do they believe about this situation? If I trust them, then, then I'll go along with their belief in this moment. But both, both extremes and the entire spectrum is about control. It's about a desire and a need to regain some form of control. And I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with that process. It's a human process, but it can lead us down destructive paths if we're not aware of it. So in moments of fear, knowing our propensity as humans, who or what can we really believe and trust? Where is it that we can actually find our hope? Let's look at today's text for the answer because that's what this text is actually about. Verse 20 starts off, It says, in that day, the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. So if you haven't been with us, let me summarize a little bit. And for those that have been with us, I'll do a quick reminder here. What we see is the end result of Israel being fearful. They're so fearful that they leaned on their knowledge. They leaned on the information that they could gather. And based on the information that they gathered and what they could control, they made a very common sense decision. Let's align with the nation of Assyria. They're more powerful. They They went, instead of by what it is that they had heard from the Lord, by what it is that prophets were speaking to them, they said, listen, we can touch this, we can feel it. And as a result, they believed that the Assyrians could actually be trusted. Their fear informed their belief. However, the Assyrians ultimately invaded and destroyed them. In fact, it was uh, 722 BC, history tells us, that they actually took the capital. They took the capital and leaving only a godly remnant, according to this verse, that remnant would learn to never again trust in the power of human armies over God. Jacob, which means the house of Jacob, the nation of Israel, will no more lean on him who struck them, will no more lean on Assyria, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel in truth, that which can be trusted. So the remnant would never again trust in the power of human armies over God, right? That's what what it says, doesn't it? Problem is, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Israel continued to jack things up. (laughs) That even though in this moment, God shows himself to be true, and they're like, oh, I I shouldn't have done that, Israel messes up again. In fact, Paul even quotes this passage of, uh, of Isaiah in Romans to talk about why it is that some Israelites, some Jewish people are not coming to know Christ because of what it is they're leaning on. They're not part of a remnant. So, It's not saying that the remnant would learn to never again trust in the power of human armies over God, definitively. No, that's not what it's saying at all. The text actually talks in the context, in the the Hebrew language, in the original context, it actually means situationally they've learned from their wrong. It's kind of like when something goes wrong, you could say, oh, situationally, Mark realized that Claude was for him in that moment. But it doesn't mean that Mark trusted me from that day forward. (laughs) It also means that, you know, I know it was going to come shocker, especially to my wife. I'm not God. So, I know I just had to get it off there. So, I was also not trustworthy in the days ahead. I did a lot just for my entertainment with him. But in either case, the point is this. This is a situational response. Basically, they learned from their wrong. They learned from their wrong, and yet they still went back to a destructive pattern. That's human nature, but for some reason we think we're exempt from that. We think, listen, I'm going to stop doing that. I'll never do that again. And then we do it again. Like, mm, this time I mean it. This time I will control. So if we go on to verses 24 through 25, it says this, therefore, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians. Now those who dwell in Zion is now a reference to Judah, specifically Jerusalem, okay? Be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. 
For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. So get this. God is telling his remnant, his godly remnant, not to fear the Assyrians because he, God, will defeat them in the end. It's easier said than done, right? Like, don't be afraid. Can you imagine that? Hey, guys, just want to tell you, don't be afraid. Thanks for coming to church today. You know, like, it doesn't work. It feels hollow and empty. And unfortunately, it's sometimes the narrative that we put on people. You know, listen, don't be afraid. Like, hmm, got it. Okay, so now you may or may not have noticed there's urine flowing down my leg. Uh, I'm still afraid, so what do I do? You know, we can't just stop being afraid. It's a valid human emotion. You see, the problem is once we start losing control or are caught off guard as humans, we begin fearing. That's what we do. And in those moments, we search for a way to regain control. In fact, verses 28 through 32, Isaiah envisions a terrifying approach of the Assyrian army, which took place actually 20 years later in 401 BC. We actually see the Assyrians taking the path that Stephanie just talked about through those exact cities. If you look at a, at a period historical map, you'd see that what is being spoken about by Isaiah is actually a village by village approach from north to south as they get closer and closer to Jerusalem. And, and God's saying, don't be afraid though. Don't be afraid. This Assyrian army that is wiping around, literally wiping the map clean, I know they're getting closer. Don't be afraid. Like, hmm, got it. The thing that's amazing is that as they get closer and closer, the last moment, they're stopped by the Lord. And scripture actually comes true. Verse 32, I don't have it projected, but I love the example. It says, they can only shake their fist. So literally, they get right up to Jerusalem and all they can do is shake their fist because the Lord won't allow them to come any further. So basically, there is literally nothing to fear. There's literally nothing to fear. God is trying to break through our control issues and let us know that he is for us. That it's not about not fearing situations and circumstances, but it's understanding the bigger picture that we have nothing to be afraid of. Let me explain more. Get this. The Apostle Paul grasped it amazingly. The worst this world can do is take our lives. That's the worst thing that can happen. And I know it's a serious thing. I'm not trying to trivialize death. But I'm simply saying the worst they can do is take our lives. They can't affect our eternity. They can't impact the big picture of eternity. The worst they can do is take our lives. And the Apostle Paul grasped this so well that he actually stated in Philippians, if you were with us through that journey, He stated, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was not suicidal. (laughs) He had perspective. He had perspective. The eternal perspective of what's at play. And when we have an eternal perspective, all of a sudden, fear can fit into a category. It can make sense. In other words, we can be nervous, concerned, scared, but fearful to the point where we believe other narratives is off the table. Let me explain a little bit further with an illustration. I don't know how many of you have ever played the card game uh, Pitch. I actually like playing Pitch, and I was recently playing uh, Pitch. For those of you that have played before and understand it, it'll probably make a little more sense to you, but everybody can kind of track with me. It'll make sense. It's a game that involves partners, and so it was me and my partner, and we're playing two other people, and in the game of pitch, you have to go around the table and people have to bid. And if no one bids, if everyone passes, then the dealer has to bid and they're forced to. And so in this situation, my partner was forced to bid. And so he bid too. And if you bid too and get it, great. Um, If you don't get your bid, then you go negative. And we were right at the cusp of winning the game. And so this is a situation where it's like, it's for everything, you know, like, We're either going to win or we're going to go backwards and maybe the other team, because of how close they were, they could have won. And so, obviously, very small situation in the grander scheme of life and death, but illustrates my point. He's forced to bid, and so he bids, and I have the ace, which is high in the game of pitch. 
he has no idea. And so he starts playing and he is not getting any points. And as the game goes on, he's getting more and more nervous. And he's so frustrated. He keeps saying like, listen, you just remember I had to go. I had to bid. I'm like, I know, I get it. It's fine. And so eventually he runs out of what's called Trump. And sure enough, the player to my right lays out low, which is a point. And so in that moment, he just looks devastated, like, oh my gosh, we lost. And I lay down the ace. And he's like, what? It's like this amazing moment of like, ah, we won, we won. And this, the reason I share the story is this. How would you play if you knew you couldn't lose? It changes the game. It changes the game. My partner was filled with fear because he didn't realize what I knew. We won. I knew we won. We could tell by the way he was playing that he was holding on to a point and, we could, and I knew that I had high so that once he laid it down, I was gonna take it. I was laying after him. I knew the whole time. I played the card game with confidence and peace as he was wrecked with fear and nervousness the whole time. I'm a great partner. No, I couldn't tell him that I had that. I'm bringing it up because it's a perfect illustration If you understand the grander concept, if you understand the bigger perspective, then you realize we've already won. And so it should change the way you play the game. It should change the way we function. There's nothing to be fearful of because we've won. The worst that can happen is someone could take our lives. But in the grander scheme, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's perspective. It's perspective. Verse 27 says this. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. At face value, you're like, what in the world is this verse talking about? Well, you have to understand this is an agricultural um, society. And so they, a yoke was very f- familiar to them. It's something that was placed on um, animals in order to tread out a, uh, a field. And so... The, the yoke is a heavy thing that an animal carries. And so the, the yoke is used as an example of something that can be very heavy, can be burdensome for someone to carry. And so what they're saying is the yoke, the burden of what's happening will be removed from your neck. I wanna tell you today that the greatest yoke of bondage is not your current situation. It's not the current circumstances. It's not the condition of the world. It's not what's happening in your workplace or what's happening in your relationship or whatever it is. And those things are serious and they're, they're probably rocking your world and I'm not minimizing that, but I'm letting you know the greatest yoke of bondage is sin. The greatest yoke of bondage is sin and the root result of every painful thing in this world is connected to sin. It's a sin issue. In Christ alone, that yoke can be broken. Jesus conquered death and sin when he went to a cross and died the death that we deserve. And we need perspective. We need to understand that God is so much for us that he paid the penalty to guarantee our win before we ever started the game. In fact, while we were his enemies, the word of God says, while we were sinners, Jesus paid the price. Incredibly, God will judge every single one of us. And for those of us who surrender to him, those of us that acknowledge Jesus as Lord, then that judgment will be based on Christ's motives and his actions, not ours. That's why it's called good news. Because your motives, my motives are corrupt. Our actions continue to fall short. We're sinners at every turn, but because of the work of Christ, we'll be judged based on his motives and actions. His perfect righteousness is imputed to us. We aren't being challenged to suppress a valid human emotion by scripture. God is not saying, stop being afraid. That's absurd. We're human beings created by him. Fear is a natural emotion. No, we're being challenged to live in a way that displays that we actually have nothing to fear. That if our lives are surrendered to him, we should have a different perspective that when we feel the experience of fear, we can reset our heart and mind with the truth of the gospel and have a better perspective. That in the, in the moments that even Christ faced mortality, he said, can this cup pass? But then he said, 
nonetheless, your will, not mine. He corrected his perspective. The apostle Paul, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He made that statement, not as a way to transcend and to, to be an amazing athlete as we see written everywhere and all of that stuff. No, he, he's literally facing the, the reality of his impending death and he's saying, listen, I can do all things through Christ. I'm gonna finish that which he has called me to do. So get this, Jesus, as much as we can correct our perspective, Jesus didn't die so that we'd live without fear. He died so that when we fear, we can rest in the fact that he is in control. That he is in control. We don't have to rush to try to gain control. We don't have to, to sit and, 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 and lean into relationships and information and, and be infused and, and uh, directed and redirected by beliefs that get us off track, but instead we can rest in the fact that God is in control. Why? So we live a life of rest and peace so that we're at ease all the time. Hello, brother. Hello, sister. I fear nothing. No, that is creepy. But if you are able to do that without medication, congratulations. No, that's, that's, that's not why. So why? Why is it then? Why is it that Jesus died so that when we fear, we can rest in the fact that he's in control? Why is that? It's so that we can do what he's called us to do, make disciples. That's why. That's why. That's what it's all about. That's what the apostle Paul is talking about. That's what the apostles in general are talking about. That's what every disciple that laid down his life we're talking about, it's not the idea of overcoming the sense of fear. It's that in the midst of fear, we reset our hearts and minds with the truth of the gospel and realize that in the end, we win. And so we move forward boldly to do what? To make disciples, to make disciples. It means that we have to speak the truth in love. It means that we have to walk alongside people in the brokenness of the world. It means that we need an eternal perspective. And so, Today, we can rest in the fact that when we're losing control and we're struck with fear, that we can communicate the truth of the gospel to our hearts and minds and we can realign our hearts and say, listen, what is it that God has called me to do? How am I on mission? What is it that I'm being called to do? And I know that that looks different for every person in this room because we have a wide gamut of people in the room from person that is far from Christ all the way to committed Christ follower. But regardless of where you fall on that spectrum, we say every week the text requires something of us. And this is what I want us to ask ourselves as we leave this place. How does God being for me change my perspective? How does God being for me change my perspective? For some of us, it changes our perspective because we've been living our lives for ourselves. And so we've been trying to work out our own best version of our lives. We've been trying to correct ourselves. We're the leader of our own lives and it continually is this struggle that falls short over and over again. And it's fear with control and control and fear and, and how can I negotiate and how can I work this out to where I benefit? And in the end, I wanna tell you the only way that it works is if we surrender our lives to Jesus. And so today, if you wanna surrender your life to the Lord, it's simple. It's as simple as praying a prayer whether you're in this room or you're joining us online, wherever you find yourself, there's not a specific prayer to pray. It's simply the idea of surrendering your life and asking Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. You can pray that prayer right now. And in fact, if you do pray that prayer, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you about your next steps. If you're in the room, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. If you're watching or listening later, you can reach out either uh, live through clicking on a, a link to request prayer and you'll go into a private chat or afterwards by reaching out to us by email or through our website. We'd love to walk alongside you in that journey as you make that decision. For others of us, how does God being for me change my perspective? If you've already crossed that line of faith, if you're already saying, I am a follower of Jesus, I wanna challenge you, are you resting in his finished work? Can you believe him and his word? Are you reorienting and redirecting the worries and concerns of your, of your life around what it is that God says, his perspective? He's for us, not against us. 
Are you striving so hard to try to, to fix a situation on your, by yourself or under your own power that you're actually causing more damage than good? Is the path that you've chosen more destructive than it is helpful? That's something for us to consider as we consider the, the perspective that we have on the situations and circumstances that we're dealing with. And if you're sitting there saying, listen, I, I'm putting everything before God and I'm submitting it to him. I'm living in line with his will and his way. Then I want to challenge you. Are you living in such a way that you're on mission? Because no one can outpace the truth of the, of the gospel. There's nobody that sits there like, mm, yeah, this, that's good. I wish I struggled with that, but I don't. I remember when I used to. If, if you're in that place, then you have a different type of issue because the, the text always requires something of us. We are all sinners saved by grace. We are never above it. We are never pharisaical and above the text. How does God being for me change my perspective in line with the mission I'm called to? Are you living on mission? Are you making disciples? I want you to consider that as we, uh, as we bow our heads and pray today and we consider what it looks like for God to break through in the control issues of our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare ourselves available to your will and to your way in our lives. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be so overcome by what it is that we see, by what it is that we know, or even that we think we know, that we miss out on what it is that you're trying to communicate to us. Father, we declare ourselves available to hear from you not that we find some form of, of peace and ease, but that so we could live on mission, so that we would see opportunities to mend relationships so that we can communicate the gospel. God, that we would, that we would love people so much that we would offend them by the gospel rather than by our opinions or ourselves. Or that we would learn from the life that you lived before us and that we would be truly missional for the furtherance of your kingdom. So we ask your will to be done. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray as has already been prayed for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan that are living, that are living this out in ways that we trivialize. We think so often of how hard we have it. <laughs> but there are, there are people fighting for their lives this morning simply because they love you. Little boys and little girls that have witnessed their parents' lives being taken because of the truth of the gospel. God, would we not be so caught up in our Western preconceived joke of what it looks like to truly be oppressed and that instead we would remember our brothers and sisters that are living this out that are truly afraid that are truly afraid would they be able to experience the peace that comes with declaring to live as Christ to die as Cain and Lord, would you be with um, our brothers and sisters in Haiti as they navigate the destruction and the pain around them and that we would be ever aware of how good we have it and that we would truly choose to live on mission with our words, with our prayers, and even with our treasure, God, that we would give to the furtherance of your kingdom for your glory and your honor. Let's worship him together. I apologize for the tears. Would you stay with us in this place?
being near to us changes everything for us. That you being for us, Jesus, changes everything.
are so good. We thank you that the great love of Jesus changes everything for us. We thank you that because you're with us, we do not have to fear. We thank you, Jesus, that we can rest in you and that you have redeemed us and called us by name. God, we give you praise. We give you praise. We thank you that you are for us and not against us. We thank you that when every situation in our lives does not feel good, we can declare and remind our souls that you are good. You are good. And we win because of what you provided for us. Would you help us to live like the redeemed, anointed, called people that you want us to be? Would you help us to be disciple-makers, gospel-centered, spirit-led disciple-makers? Because you are for us, and we know it, and we live like it. Well, church, sorry about those technical difficulties. Great job just worshiping through it. It's not about everything that's happening up here. It's really about our heart posture towards God, and that's what worship really is, whether it's singing or giving or other things. And there's lots of ways that we can continue to worship throughout the week. Definitely take time to apply the text. Dig into those devotionals. Um, take time to serve your brothers and sisters around you. Give. Um, pray. Fast. Do something on behalf of other people. And... Um, just whatever the Holy Spirit will lead you to do, I'm sure he has lots of creative ways for you to be worshipers this week. Um, but you are officially dismissed. If you want to talk, if you want any prayer, if you're interested in being discipled, if you want to serve, any of those things, you can do that as next steps. But if you also just want to stay here and sing a little bit, we're going to go through this again uh, and just declare God's goodness. We will see you on the 19th. <laughs>